1: Merry Christmas, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we journey through our special Christmas series, Pastor Will continues in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 5-18, through 18, with part 2B of a message entitled, The Wonder of the Incarnation. Up to
2: you alone. Now the question that a lot of people ask is, why put the tree there, Lord? Why not just have no options to fail? Well, relationships are only meaningful if they are willing relationships. Think about this for just a moment. I hear people say this a lot, especially when they're struggling. You know, you're struggling to love somebody. And you challenge them, hey, you got to love like the Lord loves. The Lord loves you. And, well, I'm not the Lord. And when it's said, there's a thought in my mind sometimes when it's said that the individual is thinking, well, like God just has like some innate contract inside of him that binds him to loving us. It's almost like the Lord wakes up and he's like, oh, it's, 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 ah, it's another day. Like I, I have to love everyone today. I mean, it's just part of my contract. Like I don't want to love people, but I have to love people because it's just programmed into me somehow like there's no volition there. There's no will involved in this process. That God has no choice because He's God. You know, it's interesting, Hmm. very interesting, an interaction between Jesus and the Father in the garden where He said, if you're willing, let this cup pass. Isn't that an interesting thought? God has volition. He is a free moral agent. He can choose to do whatever He wants. But because that's why we call him God, <laughs> he's always chooses love. He is love. It's his nature, it's who he is. He always makes that choice. He's always holy. He's always good. He's always just. He's always righteous. He's always merciful. Always. It's who he is. So when we talk about volition and being created in the image of God, that God's choice matters is real. It's a real choice. He looks at me and he goes, I love you. One of the things we're going to learn when we look at the wonder of the incarnation is this idea that he's not ashamed to call us brethren. Think about that for a minute. If I were Jesus, when I got to heaven, you know, the big announcement, now introducing, I'd be like, (coughs) I wouldn't be proud that, because I know me. I know me, and he knows me. He loves me every day, no matter what I'm doing, no matter what you're doing. He has set his love upon you. Now, that means if we're going to have a relationship, our choice has to matter too. We can't be programmed. And for choices to be real, there needs to be options The question that we shouldn't be asking is, why did God put a tree there so that we could fall? The question is, is how amazing is God's love that he'd only put one? Why not 40 or 50 trees? We're not worthy of just one. When you think of how small and insignificant God created Adam and Eve, you think he'd have filled the garden with tons of opportunities to fail because this ain't going to work. You're nowhere near me. You don't deserve a relationship with me. You'll never love me like I love you. And yet God only created one. He filled the entire garden with everything else for them to enjoy. It gave them only one option that they could fail in. One option to choose. No, I don't want it. I don't want all the blessings. I don't want the relationship. I don't want to follow you. I don't want to be crowned with glory and honor. I want to make my own glory and honor. And that's what we see in chapter 3. It says in chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Did God really say that? And the woman said, The right question would have been, Did God really only put one in there? I mean, because we're repeating Satan's question today. No no one is a genius who's going, Well, if God really loved us, why did he create a tree that we could fall? Grats genius, you're just repeating what Satan said. God really tell you, you, you couldn't eat of every tree? I mean, he created, you know, 17,894 other trees here, you know, and you, can't, you can only eat of 17,800 and whatever number I said, minus one. And the one said unto him, starts off okay. We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. I mean, we got plenty. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, it's not even one they, they had to work to get to. It was in the middle. It wasn't even, it wasn't like one that was right on the front yard. Every day you wake up and you see the tree. You had to work to get to it. But of the tree of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. I don't have time to go into the theology of all this here, but she did add to the word of God, and that always gets us in trouble. You kind of get a sense here that there's a possibility that she is, is resenting, thinking God's holding something back a little bit. And here comes the enemy's lie. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. <laughs> That's not what's going to happen. For God does know that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes shall be opened and you will be as God's knowing good and evil. It's interesting. He doesn't say you'll be like God, but you'll be as God's. You, you'll be, you will have a higher status than the one that God elevated you to. He held back. He, he, I mean, you were made small and significant. He raised you up here, but he could have raised you up here, and he didn't. So if you do this, you'll achieve what he's holding back from you. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and this one always gets me, a tree to be desired to make one wise. I have never looked at a tree like that. I have never looked at my orange tree in the backyard and said, that thing's going to make me the smartest man alive. And so she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and then gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both, they were opened Something did change. And they knew that they were naked. That sounds like a bit of a disappointing result. Aware of your exposure, whereas before it was fine. Aware of things about you that you were never aware of before that you shouldn't have needed to be aware of. And so they sewed fig leaves together. (laughs) That doesn't sound like a very good solution. I've heard that Fig trees are quite itchy and made themselves coverings. Turn to Ephesians 2. We can look at Adam and Eve and we can go, man, they were stupid. But when we look here, we see that we have followed in their footsteps. All of us have. Ephesians 2 1, now dealing with us, and in particular, he's talking to Christians who he's referring to our past life before we knew the Lord. In Ephesians 2, 1, he says, and you has he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Just like God warned, that's what happened. We died spiritually, and we began to die physically the moment we, that Adam and Eve disobeyed. So you, has he made alive, because who were dead in trespasses and sins. Adam passed that on to all of us. Verse 2, but that's not just his fault, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. That phrase course is that same word for world in Hebrews 1-2. It's that idea of this period of time or this present age. Wherein in time past you walked according to the mindset, the, 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 the world, you know, of this world, is what it says, the, the age of this world. See, instead of living in perfection, we now live in an age, a course, that lives according to the same choices Adam and Eve made, a time period where mankind listens to the lies of the enemy and disobeys God. That is the uh, characteristic of our world, and it's been that way since the fall, and it will be that way until Christ returns to reign. We live in a time period where we listen to the lies of the enemy and we disobey God. For it says, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's the enemy, the spirit who now works in the children of disobedience. That's what angels are. They're spirit beings. Verse 3, that's why we can't blame Adam and Eve. Among whom also we all had our conversation or conducted ourselves in times past, before we were Christians, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Exactly what Eve did when she saw that tree. And what she was thinking before she ate it. We have done the same exact thing. We cannot blame Adam and Eve because every one of us has repeated their decision to pursue our own desires instead of what's best for our world. And so it says, We were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, that is the awful bad news. It's why there needs to be a gospel, it's why we need to be rescued, why we need good news because you and I can hate what Adam and Eve did, we can hate what the devil did, but we cannot blame any of them because we've done the same thing. And because of that, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Here's the good news. What is this on a man that you would visit him? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have life everlasting. Look at Ephesians 2.4 here. But God, this is who we were. This is where we were headed. This is what way life was. But God, capital B, (laughs) but God, who is rich in mercy, doesn't give us what we deserve. He still cares about us even though we rebelled against Him. He still takes an interest in our lives. He's still actively involved in our lives. He takes responsibility for us. But God, who is rich in mercy, why? Because of His great love wherewith He loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, he has quickened us together, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace are you saved. You didn't deserve it. He did it as a free gift. And he has raised us up. Now we've been raised up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We've been exalted and elevated again in Christ. Everything we learned about last week. So here's the truth. Even though we live in this mess we made for ourselves, we still don't see all things under humanity's rulership like God designed it to be, originally created it to be. Even though we don't see that, we don't have to be frightened or angry or hopeless. Instead, we do what Hebrews 2.9 says. We look to our Savior and to what he did for us. For as Hebrews 2.9 says, but we see Jesus. God designed our world for us to rule it, we blew it, and here's God's rescue plan. But we see Jesus. We may not see the perfect world that God designed when we look out here right now and we see the mess it's in, but neither do we need to look to ourselves as a solution for it, nor do we need to grow hopeless because we realize there's no way for us to fix it on our own. Instead, we see, and I love here, that the writer calls him by his human name, Jesus. Jesus. That's the name that was given to the Son of God when he became a man. What did the angel tell Joseph and Mary? You shall call his name Jesus. Why? Jesus is a Greek form of Joshua, Yahushua. He shall save his people from their sins. God is salvation. God is salvation. God in the flesh to rescue us. That's God's rescue plan. Jesus became a man. And it explains who was made, and does this phrase look similar? A little lower than the angels. Same exact phrase that we saw that God, how God created us, designed us. Jesus fully became a man. Fully became a man. Not partial man, not slightly man, you know, not even 98% man. Fully man. And it has the same meaning for a short time, caused to have a lesser status than the angels. Made him a little bit lower than angels. Not a permanent status, but for a little bit of time, made him, he took on a body, just like we had, and made him, like us, a little bit lower than the angels. This one who had been worshipped by the angels from the dawn of creation now had to be sustained by them as a man, Remember they would come to him and they would help him in these difficult times? He had to be sustained by them as a man. Jesus as a man the scripture tells us submitted himself to the law of God and Galatians 3.19 tells us that that law was administered to man by angels. He was for a little bit of time beneath them in that sense of his status, not his being. Jesus never ceased to be God. His nature, essence, always was God. He was never for a second not God in all of its being. But he status-wise, submitted himself to the message they gave to man, just like we're supposed to, like we were supposed to. God's rescue plan for this world was to become a man, number one, and then to have that man succeed in all the areas that we failed. For it says in verse 9 that he did this for the suffering of death. What did that result in? the same thing that God did for us, elevated, crowned with glory and honor. He exalted him with glory and honor. And it's going to explain that a little bit later. We won't get into that this morning. But it explains why he came a man, became a man for the suffering of death, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man, that he would operate as we were supposed to as a man, That he would operate as Adam and Eve were supposed to, not because they inherently had anything that made them better than the angels or worthy to rule, but by the grace of God, they would trust the Lord with all their heart, not lean on their own understanding, not listen to the lies of the enemy, but submit themselves to him and have a good rule. By the grace of God, the help of God, the gift of God, all of that, we failed in that. Jesus succeeded. That's why when the enemy came to him and said, listen, since you're the son of God, why don't you turn this stone into bread? Why are you starving here? And what Jesus replied is, I don't, I'm not here to whoop you as God. I'm here to whoop you as man. I'm here to defeat you as man. I'm here to do what man failed to do. I'm going to rest in my father. I'm going to trust my father. Whatever he tells me to do, I'm going to do it. Whatever he tells me to say, I'm going to say it. I'm going to do it as a man should do it by the grace of God. And he succeeded. He tasted death for every single human being. He finished the work that his father gave him to do, doing it in his father's power and strength. Jesus was a man who was yielded to the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, doing exactly as we were designed to do. But where we failed, he succeeded. And so Jesus, as a result, experienced, tasted death for every man. Jesus' submission to the father living by the power of the Holy Spirit as a man should live. His submission to the Father went all the way to the cross where he literally experienced all the judgment every person of every time period deserved for their rebellion against God, from Adam and Eve all the way down to you and to me. And so what we see now is we see a world that hasn't been claimed yet, right? We see Jesus dying for us on the cross, living the life we could never live, succeeding where we failed, ransoming us by His blood. But we don't see all things under His feet yet, future. And thus, as we said, this is why Psalm 8 is both how God designed the earth to be and prophecy of what it will be in the end. What we see right now is a world that's still under the control of rebellious men following the lies of the enemy. And that will never be fixed by us trying to take control because we aren't the ones crowned with glory and honor now. Jesus is. He's the one crowned with glory and honor. He's the one who has been exalted. Look at Philippians 3 verses 20 and 21 with me. I love what it says here, explaining how we should live now in this present age, our mindset, the way that we should approach living in a fallen world that has not been claimed yet. You know, Revelation has been so exciting and we'll get to it eventually and, you know, it's 2074 or something like that. But in chapter 5, we see the scroll. The scroll, it's written on two sides and sealed with seven seals. And someone proclaims, who is worthy to take the scroll and to loose the seals? And of course, no one is found. It's going through the list of all humanity, the catalog of every human being who's ever lived. Adam? Nope. Eve? Nope. Going down all the lists, even David, even the good men who've lived. Going down the list, nope, none. None found worthy to be crowned with glory and honor all have failed. And John weeps. And this is not the weeping of, of you, know, you know, you kind of a little tear that creeps down the side of your eye when you watch the end of a sad movie, you know. It's not the sniffles, you know, because, you know, you see family you haven't seen in a while. The word there in a weeping is the, you know, blubbering, you know, snot flowing, you know, type of weeping where you just lose it, you know. John is absolutely bonkers because he's thinking, The world's just going to be like this forever. That's it. I mean, the fall is the fall. Nothing can fix that. And one of the elders comes up to me and says, don't weep. Here's a tissue. Don't weep. For look, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's worthy to take the scroll and to break the seals. He is going to do something about this world. He's going to fix it. It's his and he will claim it. We don't see that yet. So Philippians three twenty for our conversation, our conduct, the way we live our lives, it's in heaven, guys. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able. I'm not able, but He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself think about that for just a minute. At some point, all of this world will be under one man's control, Jesus, the Son of Man. What does that mean for us? What does Christmas mean for us? Well, if you're a Christian, surely it means you're going to rule alongside Jesus, right? That's the promise he made to us. But what Philippians 3.20 and 21 is talking about is how he will change these dying bodies, these fallen bodies, into one like his. And thus, as a part of the prophecy in Psalm 8, we will be subdued by him. Can you imagine what that will be like? Every day is a temptation over and over again. It starts when the alarm goes off. As soon as that thing starts blaring, I'm in the flesh. Whether I snooze, or whether I angrily turn it off. Either way, I'm in the flesh. We are, in a sense, trapped in these things. Where Paul explains, he says, even though you want to do the things that God wants, you don't. Do the things I don't want to do, and don't do the things that I want to do. And we do have the Holy Spirit to help us. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. We're being changed. But when He returns the Son of Man returns, the one who succeeded where we failed, these bodies will be made like unto his bodies and will finally be subdued. I will be subdued. There will be no opportunity for temptation for me. There will be no desire for sin. There will be no desire for any of the things that displeases the Lord. They will be 100% entirely absent from my life because now I and you, if you're a believer, will be subdued. And I say to that, even so, come quickly, whatever it takes. (laughs) come quickly. And that's what Christmas means for us. That the Son of God who lived in majesty became the Son of Man, exalted now to majesty. Jesus didn't need to be exalted as a Son of God. You can't. You can't get any higher than that. But as a Son of Man, He is exalted to that role where He is not just King of kings and Lord of lords because He's the Son of God and He inherits it, but because He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, because he's earned it. Where we failed, he is righteous fully. There is no sin in him, the scriptures say. He did everything his father wanted him to do. Now, if you're not a Christian this morning, what does that mean? I know it's not a happy Christmas message, but it means you will experience judgment. And that is why it is so important to listen to the glad tidings of great joy that is Christmas. It's so important to repent and place your trust in Jesus because there's only one way out of the mess that we have created for ourselves. And God loved you so much that he made this way by sending his beloved son to take your place so that you wouldn't have to be judged, so that you could be forgiven. So my encouragement to you this morning is if you're not a Christian this morning, if you're not right with God, don't put it off any longer this is his gift to you, that he loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you so you wouldn't have to perish, that you could have everlasting life, that you could be forgiven. Amen? Amen. This is a wonderful future if you've received God's gift. But what do we do while we wait for it? (laughs) How do we live in this mess now? Aside from just looking at Jesus, we've got people we got to deal with. We've got decisions that have to be made. We've got lives that have to be lived. Well, I want to talk about that as we get into the rest of Hebrews 2 and we look at verses 10 through 18 because we're going to see four things there that Jesus has done for us now, how he is Emmanuel, God with us now. Emmanuel does not mean the baby in a manger or the king on the cross. It is everything. It's from baby in a manger all the way through his life, all the way to the cross, all the way to now today because he is still Emmanuel and he is still with us. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for loving us. We read for the great love with, you loved us. So Lord, we remember your great love for us, and we thank you that you had a rescue plan and that you successfully enacted it. We thank you that you are still with us today, and we love you for that. In Jesus' name,
1: amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours. Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.